And lastly, uh, and this one took me actually a few years to realize, but I was failing myself because the way I was living is not how I wanted to live. And uh, I couldn't see past that. I couldn't see past the need to fix and stop and make everything different to realize, you know what? You don't have to be in this kind of pain all the time. It doesn't need to be that bad. And somehow, some way, despite all these moments where you think it's a terrible end of the world kind of situation, you're still standing. So maybe you're more capable than you think you are. Maybe you're more resilient than you think you are. And if that's true, why can't you bring that to bear more often and live a life that doesn't have to feel so anxious and scared and depressed and uh, beaten down? That's Brian Falchuk, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to the first or the zeroth, if that's a number, episode of the Do A Day podcast. What is the Do A Day podcast? Well, that's why I'm doing an episode zero. I want to give you a sense of what Do A Day is, who I am, why I'm doing this show in the first place, and set you up to start listening to what I think are some pretty amazing guests with stories about struggle and challenge and overcoming and getting a lesson out of it, a lesson that can help change your life because it's changed somebody else's life. And that's what Do A Day is all about. So I'm Brian Falchuk. I wrote this book called Do A Day that tells my story of struggle, overcoming, achieving, and most importantly, the lessons I learned through that process that I've been using to coach people for, gosh, like seven years now. Uh, and it, it's had a real impact. And that's why I wrote it. It was a bestseller and it got me a TED Talk and all this other stuff. And that's great. And I've been on something like 112 podcasts and radio shows to share the message. Awesome. That was my goal. But I don't just want to talk about myself. And that's where my podcasts come in. So I'm going to share in this episode my story. For those of you who don't know it from the book or haven't seen the TED Talk, um, or maybe haven't heard me on another show, I at least want you to understand where am I coming from. But that'll set you up to understand where this show is coming from. And one of the goals I had in writing the book was I wanted to write a follow-up book that wasn't my story, but was the story of all these other people. And one of the things I learned along the way of getting the message out with my book is that actually podcasting is a great way to do that. And how better to share someone's message than in their own voice, literally, not just their own words, but their voice. So. The podcast has been a way that I'm going to start to, to share these other inspirational messages out with people because I've had a lot of experiences and the feedback I get about the book is, wow, that really resonates. You know, I'm going through something similar that's hearing what you've been through and how you've gotten through it has helped me understand how I can do the same. But you know what? I haven't gone through everything. And some of the things I've gone through won't resonate with other people. So it's important to bring the stories of others in different situations to the masses so that you may find something more inspirational for your context than maybe my story was. My whole goal is just to help people change their lives. And I need as many examples and as many inspirational messages and tools and techniques and just, you know, firsthand experience of achieving better as I can get. And that's totally what this show is about. So there will be a ton of episodes I've kind of been secretly recording for months. 
Uh, I've got like 30 episodes in the bank ready to go for the launch. So I'm going to come out pretty strong with a whole lot of episodes in the first month, and then it's going to be a weekly show. Um, but before I do that, I feel it's really important to at least set the stage. What is do a day? Why is this podcast here? What's my story? And uh, hopefully you find it interesting and you want to get more and you want to hear what other people have to say around this whole idea of going through struggle, learning through it, and finding a way to help other people change their lives. So who am I? Um, I am a father, a husband. Um, I am an executive in the insurance industry, and I'm someone who's completely dedicated to helping other people overcome their struggles. I went through something uh, through most of the first half of my life, and then a pretty pivotal moment that forced me to change. Um, and I'm very thankful for that forcing mechanism. And I'm not done changing. It's a process we always go through and it's not linear. There's a lot of up and down, um, but I'm on that path and that's a much better place to be than where I was before this moment. And I'll get into that moment in a minute. Uh, but since then, I've been helping people through coaching work and public speaking and my book and articles that I've written for major publications. Um, and you can get all that stuff. And you know, if you, if you visit brianfeltrek.com, you can see all that. You can go to doadaybook.com and learn more about the book. Um, but I just kind of want to tell you about it, uh, tell you about the message firsthand. So my backstory, um, like, I don't know, half the country, I grew up in a family that was coming apart for uh, due to divorce. And as a little kid, you know, I was about five years old. You have one basic need, and that's to feel safe and secure, like everything's going to be okay. And one of the things about divorce is in one way, shape, or form, and to different degrees for different people, you don't feel okay. Because even the best of divorces, you still have a splitting of the family. One way or the other, it's going to have an effect. And maybe it affects some people more than others. Some of those splittings are more painful than others. But my experience was my experience. And it mattered to me. And I was so young that I didn't really understand it. Like I was old enough to know that things were very different and things were not stable. Even if I didn't you know, fully understand that um, I could tell, you know, things weren't okay. There was a lot of fighting and um, just instability and changes of house. And, you know, with any divorce, there's always finances are different. And, um, you know, we went through all that. It wasn't terrible. You know, we, uh, we weren't homeless. Um, there was no physical abuse involved. I mean, there's, you know, there's stories that are significantly worse, but it's not a competition. It's not about my divorce was worse than yours or, you know, uh, yours was worse than mine or anything like that. It was what it was. It was uh, important and crucial and impactful to me. And the result was because I didn't have that basic ch young child's need being met clearly, that led me to have anxiety. And my anxiety was pretty specific. It was about things going wrong. And as a little kid, you can't really do anything about that. And because I was so young, I didn't really understand any of that. And so I had to turn to something for help, but I didn't even really realize what I was doing. So I turned to food and I started to put on weight really, really fast and pretty dramatically. And, um, you know, if you look at a picture of me at age five versus age six, it's like two different kids. So I spent most of my childhood really obese. And uh, it, it got to a point where the last weight that I saw on the scale was in high school. And that, or actually, it was probably in eighth grade. It was 248. So not even high school. And uh, I kept getting bigger after that because my pants, you know, my pant size still had to go up. Uh, but I stopped weighing myself because I just, I couldn't take it. I couldn't face the numbers and the judgment that I put on myself and the 
feeling of failure. And, you know, what's so ironic is anxiety was driving me to overeat. And the anxiety was about everything going wrong. And of course, physically, everything was kind of going wrong. And so the treatment I was using for the anxiety was actually just making the anxiety worse on top of everything else that I constantly thought was breaking apart and going wrong. And um, it's not a great way to live. Uh, I was really, really lucky to meet an amazing man in high school who uh, ran the PE program at my school. And he just took a totally different approach to wellness and exercise than anyone I'd ever been around. You know, where it was always, Brian, why are you so fat? Why are you so lazy? He would introduce me to things that I liked. He's like, you know, have you tried this? Do, what do you like to do? You know, it was much more like, let's explore the things that aren't really painful. Like running hurts when you're really overweight. It feels awkward. It's embarrassing because you're jiggling around. And, you know, I, I got laughed at as a kid growing up running. Like, it's just, there's an emotional and physical pain to it. So he's not going to push me to go run laps or something. He's like, you know, what can we do that doesn't make you feel that way? So he helped me build a healthier relationship with movement than I'd ever had because he stripped away all that negativity. And um, that was really crucial for me. And that opened me up to physical capabilities I wasn't even aware of. And it wasn't quick. Like it, it took a few years. I worked with him from freshman year to senior year. And it was really um, coming out of my junior year that I fully got it because I was still getting bigger. Um, but that summer between junior and senior year in high school, I left school at probably about 270 and I came back at like 205. It's a pretty dramatic weight loss over the course of two and a half, three months, I guess three months over the summer. And I did that by working out a ton, like ultra excessively, tons and tons of cardio. Uh, I was doing weightlifting. I just, I really pushed very, very hard. And it was great. Like I, I loved it. Um, and I loved the transformation and I felt great. But the reason why I lost weight was because I didn't want to be the fat kid anymore. You know, a teenage boy, I want girls to like me. So I don't want to be the fat guy who no one would ever date. And, uh, that was a really good motivation at the time, but I didn't really understand why I was overweight yet, you know? So I wasn't dealing with the actual causes of it, the anxiety, the underlying sense that everything's going to go wrong and using food for comfort. So actually I started to use exercise for comfort, but I was still using something for comfort instead of addressing the reason why I was uncomfortable in the first place. Now I went through my senior year in high school and I lost another 25 or so pounds. Um, I was in really good shape and really happy physically, um, but not emotionally. And that's why, you know, as I continued on into college and my early years after college, I slowly put on some of the weight. And I never looked obese again. You know, I was, I, I say jokingly, but kind of true. I just looked American. You know, no one would look at me and be like, oh, there's that fat guy. Just like, oh yeah, it's Brian. He looks like everybody else. Um, but less important than the weight I had put on was that I was carrying this anxiety burden. And I really, I mean, I can remember so many times like in, in uh, college or early in my career, you know, catching up with my father on the phone and just like, oh my God, everything's terrible, you know. I had this paper due or this exam and it's, it's just too much. And, and then fast forwarding to work and like, oh, you know, I'm working on this project and it's going so poorly and I'm going to get fired. And, and none of that was ever true. I always got through it. Um, but for some reason, I always felt like everything was falling apart. And that was the problem. So I had gotten down into the 180s and slowly but surely over the course of my 20s, I got up 
to uh, 222 by the time I was 32. Only at that point, I was also married, and I had a two-year-old son. And uh, as we went into the summer of 2011, my wife uh, became really sick, and um, we didn't know what it was. She'd had these flare-ups throughout most of her life, but they'd always go away after a day or two, and we thought it was one of those. And after a day or two, it wasn't gone. It was actually worse, and worse is a, a hard way to describe it because it's so bad to begin with. You don't think there's worse left to get, um, but there is, and uh, it just kept happening. Every day was worse, and it was really hard because uh, our son was watching that happen, and with every passing day, my wife got thinner and weaker, and her pain got more intense, and her fear was ratcheting up. And so was mine and her doctors were not helping. They couldn't figure it out. And they were just sort of blaming her for it. You know, you're sure you're not just depressed. Oh, you seem really anxious. You're sure it's not emotional. It's like, well, how would you feel if this was going on? And it got to a point on June 30th where she was essentially bedridden and her doctor called to say he was going on vacation for six weeks and he'll check in when he's back. And she was losing two pounds a day. She was barely a hundred pounds. And I just said, doctor, do the math. She's not going to be here at the end of six weeks. And he just said kind of like nonchalantly, oh, okay, we'll take her to the ER if you need to. And he hung up. And I walked back into our bedroom and uh, I saw my wife in bed and my son was there and he was looking at her and he turned and looked at me. And when his eyes hit me, it really hit me. Um, that's when everything became clear to me. That's this moment where everything changed. And um, I realized I was horribly failing her as a husband because I was so caught up in the anxiety of what was happening and needing to talk her out of things being bad and everything that was hitting me. You know, I had a full-time job too, and now I'm trying to take care of her and him and, um, you know, really couldn't deal with the emotional side of what was going on. And so I wasn't a supportive husband. I was really dismissive. And that is the last thing she needed. It was pretty, it was pretty unfair to her. Uh, so I was failing her. And then I looked at this little boy who's, you know, the most important thing to me in the entire world. And I immediately thought back to my situation growing up and the anxiety that I had. And if you think about divorce versus watching your mother die in front of your eyes, uh, clearly one of them is a lot more impactful. And, um, if that little boy was ever going to have a chance at happiness without his mother, it was not going to be with the parent that I was. So I was failing him as well. And that, I mean, that's such a kick in the gut because I don't ever want to fail my child. And lastly, uh, and this one took me actually a few years to realize, but I was failing myself because the way I was living is not how I wanted to live. And uh, I couldn't see past that. I couldn't see past the need to fix and stop and make everything different to realize, you know what? You don't have to be in this kind of pain all the time. It doesn't need to be that bad. And somehow, some way, despite all these moments where you think it's a terrible end of the world kind of situation, you're still standing. So maybe you're more capable than you think you are. Maybe you're more resilient than you think you are. And if that's true, why can't you bring that to bear more often and live a life that doesn't have to feel so anxious and scared and depressed and uh, beaten down? 
you know, I, I describe it as um, like working in your life instead of living it. So like I was an employee of my life or like my wife and husband, my wife and husband, my wife and son, or like my, my wife and son were the family. And I was that guy who worked there and I was probably a disgruntled employee at that. This is not the way I want to live. When I woke up on July 1st, the next morning, I recognized this was really different and I can uh, let that slip away or I can see it for what it is. It's a lifeline and I can grab hold of it. And if I'm going to grab hold of it, I can do something different and I can empower myself to be better. Now, there were a few very specific things in my life that I was really unhappy about that the reality is were totally in my control. You know, I can't save my wife's life. I can participate in it. I can be more supportive, but ultimately, you know, that's her body and those are her decisions and I can stand by her, but I couldn't just do that. But what about mine? You know, it was 222 pounds. That's not right. I felt miserable physically. I felt bad about myself physically. Again, that could change. That was in my power. Uh, I was unhappy in my job. Things had really changed from the company that I had joined. That was a tougher one to change because, you know, I was the sole provider and uh, we had these huge medical bills mounting and, you know, maybe I was going to be a single parent. Uh, so I, I needed to be a lot more careful with that one. I couldn't just quit, but I could start to take some actions towards that and try to make the current situation I was in better and try to lay the groundwork for getting into a different career or a different job at least. Uh, and the last was, you know, I've been carrying this anxiety since I was a little kid. And my wife, to her credit, was pushing me to get some help. And I had every excuse in the book for not doing it. And of course, now, you know, when she's sick and they need me at home, like, how can I, you know, if I'm working all day and I get home, like, I can't just split and, and go see a, see a psychiatrist or a social worker or you know, some sort of therapist um, to talk about things. And uh, I, I'm just not going to fight that anymore. So I always felt like, how can I make, you know, a series of appointments work with my schedule? You're not, you just need to go once. And if it goes well, you can find a way to go again. But, you're, you know, I was like, I'm not scheduling 90 appointments all at once. Um, and there's something in that message that it's just one. You know, and I lost, I, I'd lost 100 pounds as a kid, as a, a high schooler. I didn't lose it all at once. And it was always when I looked at the totality of the weight that it was just too much and I wouldn't start. When I looked at all of these appointments that I had to schedule and make and fit into my life and then pay for, it's too much. Well, you don't do all that at once. You know, right now, you're not losing 100 pounds. You're just doing what you have to do today in pursuit of your goals. And that's, that's where do a day really starts to form up. So I took hold of those three things. I set some very specific goals with specific actions. And I started to execute against them. And what I found was I wasn't adding the weight of the rest of my life. And I wasn't adding the weight of all the failures before. So I lost weight before, but I put a bunch of it back on. And if I didn't stop now, I'd probably be even bigger than I was the first time. Well, you know what? That's not relevant because I'm not putting on more weight than I used to have on my body right now. And it doesn't matter if I failed or succeeded in the past. And it doesn't matter why I failed or succeeded in the past, as long as I understand those things and I've learned and grown from them, but they don't have to repeat themselves. And I'm not a bad person. I'm not an incapable person just because they happened. You know, it's, it's what hit me is we live our lives under the weight of two things that don't exist. That's yesterday and tomorrow. It's never yesterday 
and it's never tomorrow. It's always only today. Yet we take all of this pain from our past mistakes, all this judgment of how we've acted or what we've done or not done or failed at doing or what people have done to us or maybe things we've lost. It's all this negative pain and we bring it into today and we act from that place of judgment or the perceived judgment of others. And we do it with the future too, with tomorrow. You know, all the pounds I still have to lose, you can bust your hump and, and really kill it in the gym and eat great all day. And the hundred pounds turns into 99 more pounds to lose. Guess what? Firsthand knowledge speaking here, it's just as hard and just as daunting. But just like that first pound, that's all you have to focus on. You don't have 99 pounds to lose right now. Right now, you just have to make better choices for right now. And the sum of better choices adds up to your achievement. It's like you win your way to your ultimate goal. Uh, I, I run, which is crazy for me to call myself a runner. I've done a marathon, a bunch of other races. I was a fat kid. I never ran. I hated running. Um, but I love running now. And one of the things runners do is when you're getting tired and you're not sure you can make it to the end, you find a goalpost along the way and you run to that and only that. I just did it the other day, actually. Um, I was getting really tired. I was nearing my home, but I wasn't there yet. And I was, you know, starting to get that self-talk, that self-doubt in my head, like, oh, I can't make it. And, you know, maybe I'm going to walk the rest of the way. And I, I had to get to the corner of the block I was on, turn the corner, and then go down the next block to get home. And, and I'm like, I'll go to the end of the block, and then I'm going to stop, and I'll walk home. And it's like, you know what? Forget the second part of that sentence. I'm going to get to the end of the block. I don't need to decide what I'm going to do between the end of the block and my home right now because I'm not running that part right now. I'm just going to set my goalpost on what I can see in front of me that's pushing myself, but achievable. And I'm going to go for that. You know, when you have a hundred pounds to lose, you don't set a goal of five. You set a goal of a hundred. You set the ultimate goal of where you're trying to get to. I needed to get home that day. You know, I wasn't just going to get to the corner and give up and Oh, well, well, now I live on the corner of this block. No, I need to get home. You know, I need to get a new job. I need to deal with the anxiety I'm facing. I need to, whatever it is that you, worry, that you want your life to get to, that's your goal. But they're probably big goals. They should be. So then you need to break it into pieces that you can achieve in each day. And whether the day is this minute, the day is an actual day, that's not relevant. I don't actually mean it as the measure of time. The point is I'm talking about right now and whatever happened yesterday, and whatever happens tomorrow is not relevant. That's the essence of do a day. It's an execution strategy for achieving your goals. And it sits on top of two key building blocks. The first is self-love. And I always say like some people get squeamish when I say that word self-love, like it sounds too hippie or touchy feely or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you got to have it. If you're sitting there doubting yourself and thinking you're incapable or you don't deserve it, or you're not good enough. Well, guess what? That's all true because you've already disqualified yourself from ever having what you want. And I'm not talking about, you know, saying like some, some achievement. And then you just like, you know, people who there's a particular book that preaches, like, you know, say what you want, just be like, I, I already won the lottery. And then it'll come into your life. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying, you know, if you, uh, you can't run faster than a 10 minute mile that you say like, I, I'm capable of running a four minute mile. Well, 
maybe you have that in you, but right now that's not where you're at and it's not relevant. How about just, I can run. See, that's a very open-ended allowing kind of statement. It's allowing yourself to be good enough to do something without any levels of judgment in it. Just be. And one of the exercises I give people I work with is something I call stop the butt. And it's basically like if you look at how we talk about ourselves or how we take compliments, the word but is often used. And I always give this example because I think it resonates for everybody. Think about the last time either you went to someone's house for dinner or you made dinner for someone or any meal. It doesn't have to be dinner. What happens when a compliment's paid? And you say like, oh, dinner was great. Oh, thanks. You know, I, but I burnt the chicken. Or, but I underseasoned the vegetables, or, but I forgot to add this ingredient and so it was terrible. It's like, actually, just say thanks or say, I'm glad you liked it. As soon as that word but forms in your mind, stop. Just stop right there and just allow for the good to sit out there. Now, I talk about this person I was coaching and we were working through their capabilities and their knowledge and really just stuck in this putting themselves down kind of place about not being able to achieve anything. And so I stepped them back to their college education. They went to a good school, they got good grades, studied a tough major. So I started to ask questions about it. So, you know, did, did you go to college? Yes, I went to college, but I and immediately discredited the fact that they went to college. Well, was it a good school? Yeah, it was a good school, but you know, those things are, they're kind of political and, and the ratings don't matter. It's like, wait, just allow for a second. You went to college. It was a tough school. Did you graduate? Yes, I graduated. Leave that there. So you graduated from a good school and you got good grades. And let's not talk that down by saying it doesn't matter or it was easy for you because you chose a major you already understood or, or whatever your reasons are. Just allow for the good statement to sit out there. See, as a society, we're very self-deprecating. We love to put ourselves down. It's socially acceptable, whereas being perceived as an egotist is not. And we even get into competitions like at work. Everyone's always competing about whose boss is tougher, whose deadline's worse, who worked later last night, who's got more on their plate. And, and the winner is the one who's more miserable. Well, enough of that. Okay. Let's be good to ourselves and let's allow for ourselves to be capable and deserving. That's really important. So that was one of the building blocks. The other is true motivation. And I talk about this a lot because uh, it's what really matters. And that's the thing that I found in that moment in 2011, because it was thrust upon me, where I saw what really mattered to me in life. And that's the hardest part of the whole journey, but it's the most rewarding. You just have to be up for some serious introspection because you have to ask yourself seemingly simple questions that are actually incredibly difficult. And whatever answers you give, they're not good enough. I'm not trying to judge you. Our first answers aren't deep enough. That's the point. We have to keep probing why. What you're trying to get to is what really matters to you more than anything in life. No matter what else is happening, what will always matter to you? And when you have an answer, you need to ask yourself why. Try to understand the dynamics behind it. What we're trying to get to is your sense of values, your sense of morals and ethics and the, the things that operate deep down in your core. I always say like when someone says dig deep, it's the thing you're digging for. It's, it's like your inner values kind of stuff. That's when I say what matters to you more than anything. You know, it's not about uh, my motivation when I was losing weight was to not be seen as the fat kid. That's an external thing. 
It's about other people judging me or me judging myself through their eyes. That's not inside of me. And what happens when I lose weight? Or like for me, I went to college, nobody knew me because I went to school with one person from my high school who's super sweet and she would never have judged me anyway. So all of a sudden, no one knew me as the fat kid, which was my motivation that no one saw me as the fat kid. So then I had it. So then what? What's motivating me anymore? It's no surprise I started to put on weight because there was suddenly no pressure. I'm not talking about pressure. I'm talking about motivation. What makes you want to do what you want to do with your life? And that's a different kind of thing. So I go through a number of key questions you can ask yourself. And I talk about the aspects of true motivation. It has to be really deep within you, right at that values, at that, cores, that core level. It needs to be enduring. So, you know, it's not something that ends like people who lose weight for beach season or their wedding or something like that. Well, what happens when the wedding comes and goes? You know, so it's got to endure through time. And again, values tend to do that. Things don't or dates don't. Now, speaking of things, I say it needs to be non-material. Your motivations shouldn't be stuff and things, not a nice house. You know, I'm motivated to have a nice house. Well, why? You say there's that why question. Why do you want a nice house? Well, because it, it signifies that I've made it. Okay, well, what is making it? Why is that important to you? Well, because then it means I don't have to struggle. Ah, now you're talking about something different. Why, why is struggling or not struggling important to you? Well, you know, we really had money troubles when I was a kid. And okay, you're talking about something completely different from having a McMansion, right? Now, I'm not saying those are those are things I went through. I've had that conversation with people I've coached, but move away from the the, the things, the stuff, the material things, move towards the values. I think that those are really, really important. So it's got to endure. It's got to be deep within you. Uh, it, it should actually, it should almost make you cry, you know, or it has the power to bring you to your knees or bring you to tears if you really, really stop and think about it. I know when I was on stage doing the TED Talk, which I'd practiced, you know, a whole bunch of times, I'd and I'd given the story so many times in podcasts and written about it. And like, you know, it's, it's second nature to me. I was up on stage and I was talking about what happened with my wife. And I was talking about that moment when my son's eyes met mine and I actually got choked up, which is to me is kind of wild, but it's, it's to that point. Like this is something, no matter what is so powerful to me, it will stop me in my tracks every time. I think that's, that's a sign to me that I've, I've hit on that really core level. So, you know, give yourself the self-love, allow for that, find your true motivation, and then execute free of all that yesterday and tomorrow, because it's never happening. That's the essence of do a day. That's my story in a nutshell, um, kind of a giant nutshell. I will say like that was a, not a short nutshell, but or small one. I don't, I don't think you can have a short nutshell. Anyway, that's what do a day is about, but that's me. And going forward, it's going to be about my guests. So I have been really lucky to get some incredible guests on the show. Um, some of them maybe you've heard of, some of them maybe you haven't. It's less about their notoriety than it is about the value of their message. So there's some people who I get to say, I never thought they'd say yes. They're people who I've admired. I've heard on other shows. I've followed their story read their books. One of them is a, a musician whose music I love. And I read his book and I just asked and shockingly they said, yes. So there's a, a little message in there 
um, about how the show even came together. Now, look, like if you have a dream, go for it. Ask. Because if you're not achieving it right now, you have nothing to lose by trying. Because worst case scenario, you're still not achieving it. Best case scenario, you've made progress or you've gotten down the road and completed it. So I'm very excited to bring the show to you. I'll stop here, but I will invite you to subscribe. That's so, so important. As a new show, I want this to really do well. I need your help. I need the downloads. I need the activity, the action on it. So please subscribe. Tell people about it. Best, best way to grow a show is for people who love it to tell other people about it. And please review the show. You know, obviously, I love the five-star reviews, positive things, but I also want to hear, hey, this is what we'd like in the show. You know, I, I really like this guest, but I didn't like that message. Or I really like the message. I didn't like that guest so much. I'd love to hear someone like this. Or even recommend a guest. I want to hear so I can build better. Because if I create a better show, it's more likely to help you change your life. And that's the whole reason why I'm in this game. So you can always find out more at doadaybook.com or go to brianfalchuk.com where you can see everything I'm up to. I'm working on another book, so that's a way to make sure you, you get news on that, not just do a day. But subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, tell people about the podcast, check out Do A Day Book, brianfalchuk.com. Sign up for my newsletter if you haven't because I'll keep you posted on all this stuff. Um, you can do that at Do A Day Book or Brian Falchuk, both of them. Um, when you go to the site, there's a little pop-up that'll ask you to join the newsletter. I don't send out many and I don't spam people, so don't worry about that. But I'd love to stay in touch. And if you have something you want to share, please reach out. I want to hear. You can follow me at Brian Falchuk on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And just throw me a message. Uh, I check it regularly. I will absolutely get back to you. I'd love to hear from you. So with that, that's episode zero. Thank you so much for sticking with me through all of this. And I can't wait to share the messages of all of the guests that I've gotten to talk to and the ones I have yet to talk to with all of you. So thank you. And remember, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Thanks.